Welcome to the First Church Message of the Week podcast. Thanks for listening in. We are nearing the end of our Courageous Faith Summer Sermon Series, focusing on the Book of Acts and the courage it takes to be a Christ follower, using the example of the early church and their bold, courageous actions of faith. How we live our lives, from the words we use, the ways we talk about others, and even the way we hold our heads high or don't, are a witness to others around us. Are we living out our faith in ways that others take note of and want to be a part of? We have an opportunity to not only walk the walk as believers, but to also share that in our hope-filled prayers for all we need. In this message of the week from June 27th, Pastor Jen Tyler shares from the book of Acts, chapter 26, and how our lives can be an example of faith. Here is the First Church message of the week. So we have been working over the last couple of months through... The book of Acts, uh, we're going to wrap this series up next week, but we've been talking about courageous faith. I think that kind of, Sandy has set us up well for talking about courageous faith, because some of those little things, well, they don't always feel so little in the moment, and they take a bit of courage. And so the book of Acts is a story of some of the earliest followers of Jesus who were courageous in how they sought to follow the call of God on their lives and in their communities. And so today we're going to continue reading in Acts. We have gotten all the way to chapter 26 this week. Uh, If you've been reading along in our uh, reading guide, there were guides at each of the doors. I have to say I'm a little disappointed that we had a typo on our reading sheets and no one has called me out on it yet. So if you see that, I challenge you to find what our typo is. It's, I think, not a small one. So if you're reading along with us, let me know and you'll see what that is hopefully in the next week. But for today, I want you to invite you to read along with me. Uh, The words are on the screen. I'm going to read it aloud here for us in Acts chapter 6, beginning in verse 24. Uh, Paul was doing the thing he always does. He's defending his faith again here. And so it tells us that while Paul was making this defense, Festus exclaimed, You are out of your mind, Paul. Too much learning is driving you insane. But Paul said, I am not out of my mind, most excellent Festus, but I am speaking the sober truth. Indeed, the king knows about these things, and to him I speak freely, for I am certain that none of these things has escaped his notice. For this was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you believe. Agrippa said to Paul, Are you so quickly persuading me to become a Christian? Paul replied, whether quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening to me today might become such as I am, except for these chains. Here ends our scripture reading. Won't you pray with me? Lord God, might you open our ears anew this day and that we might hear your voice more clearly. Open our eyes that we might see you more clearly and our hearts that we might love you more deeply as you rid us from any and all distractions so that all that we see and hear and know and feel and speak are of you. Amen. So today, I thought I would follow up this passage with a question. Has anyone ever encountered a person or a thing or an event that you thought was so crazy and so ridiculous that you thought it was unbelievable or impossible? 
There's a story I heard that's not quite about this, but it makes me giggle, and maybe it will you too, that I heard about a teacher who was teaching a geology class, and she was teaching about map reading, the lost art of map reading. Some of us can still read maps in here, right? Not just Google Maps, okay? So she's teaching them about latitude and longitude and degrees and minutes, and after having their long lecture trying to explain all these things to them, the teacher asked her students to put this into practice using the numbers and the systems that they'd just taught to locate a place on the map. For example, she offered, suppose I asked you to meet me for lunch in this place at 23 degrees, 4 minutes north latitude, and 45 degrees, 15 minutes east longitude. So she quietly waited for her students to do the appropriate calculations, expecting them to come back with the answer, where are we going to meet for lunch? Anybody in here think you could find that on a map? So she waited and waited and waited. And there was some confused silence, as you might expect. And she prompts them and says, anybody, just take a guess. We'll work on it together. And finally, a voice, a quiet one, pops up from the back and volunteers an answer she didn't expect. Where are they going to meet for lunch? Well, the student says, I suspect if those are the only directions you gave, you'll be eating alone. Now, clearly, at first introduction, the fact that these numbers could lead to a place far less obvious, well, it wasn't as obvious as she thought it would imply, right? Now, I looked this up on the map, and there really is a diner at this location, at the joke that I found, which kind of makes it even better, right? We know better than this being something easy and straightforward, right? It isn't hard for us to imagine times when we've found ourselves in places or situations of disbelief or maybe even just confusion, right? I think of that being especially true in situations like how technology has changed over recent years and how I love messing with our high school youth because, I mean, somebody today made a joke about me being a spring chicken in age, right? But even when I was in high school, there weren't cell phones, guys. I didn't even have a computer then, and it wasn't that long ago. world has changed a lot. And then I still remember in college how excited I was when I got my first iPod, because I could carry my music collection with me, and that iPod probably weighed, what, like eight pounds or something, right? Now, I jest about how much stuff has changed in just a couple of years, but we know whether it's technology or geography or science that once told us the Earth was flat, right? Stories of disbelief have been a part of our lives since the beginning of time. It's true in some of these examples that I give, and it's true even in Scripture, where we find some of these incredibly powerful, unbelievable kinds of stories. Stories that even though they seem unbelievable, we trust and believe anyway, don't we? We trust and believe in these stories not just because they're written in Scripture, I hope, but also because we know and trust that God is at work in and through them. We can see God at work in the midst of those crazy, unbelievable, well-known stories like the stories of creation or Noah and his ark or Jesus and his resurrection. There's nothing rational about believing these stories. And yet we believe them and the truth that they represent anyway, don't we? That is part of what faith is about. 
It is about believing the unbelievable. It is about trusting God and knowing that there is a way forward even when there seems not to be. Over and over again, that is what life and ministry of Jesus Christ living on earth has taught us. And over and over again, this is the truth that Paul is holding on to, that he lived his life preaching and teaching about. Paul wants everyone he meets to know and believe the good news of Jesus Christ. So much so that even in situations like the one we heard in our scripture reading today, well, I don't think scenes like this were very uncommon. I had a side conversation this week and someone who was volunteering in our office this week, and we talked about how, well, the stories of Paul can be really hard sometimes, and I admittedly have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Paul, mostly because he loves to push people's buttons. Does anybody love hanging out with someone who tries to push all your buttons all the time? Because I think Paul would push all of mine. But you know what's worse about that? Is when he turns out to be right. Because Paul knew what he was talking about. Now, Paul was known to be controversial, not just for the things he said, but the ways that he said it, right? He didn't sugarcoat or uh, say anything softly to anyone ever. He told it as it was and then expected people to trust him and believe him because he said so. We know people like that, right? I mean, can you imagine having the leader of your faith, one of the earliest followers of Jesus, or maybe having your pastor be someone like that who said, you'll believe this or else. Now, here Paul was. He is this guy who had dedicated the first part of his life to Jewish law. We talked a little about that, right? How he persecuted anyone who strayed from his understanding of truth. He was even responsible for taking the lives of some of the earliest Christians. But that did not stop him. Here's the part that I love about Paul, right? It didn't stop him from making a change when Jesus changed his path. Paul spoke with conviction a truth that he believed until one day he realized he was wrong and he did a 180 and completely changed everything he said or did or taught, but he did it with the same level of conviction. And after that moment that's known as the Damascus Road experience, we know that Paul committed himself to two things. First is to learning everything he could about Jesus and how to follow him faithfully as a disciple. And then second, to teaching as many people as he could about these new truths that he learned and experienced. Now, for someone who had done that much of a 180 turn, it's no wonder people are so frustrated with him, right? I wonder how you respond in situations like this. Not just hypothetically, but in real life, when someone you know, whether it's faith or science or politics or through study or anything else that we deem significant in our lives, when someone that you've known and trusted all of the sudden completely changes their mind and goes the other direction in a sudden and drastic way, how do you respond to that? Do you automatically take them at their word and thank them for their honest vulnerability and for sharing their truth and then blindly follow them whether or not you agree with them? I hope not. 
Instead, my experience has been that we approach people like this with a lot of hesitation, right? And primarily, we wonder about two things. We wonder what's causing that kind of a sudden change, right? And then, can we really trust that person, or are they just going to change their mind again? We have a name for people like this, right? Predominantly, we use it in politics, but it's for other stuff too. We call them flip-floppers because you never know what they're going to believe tomorrow. So why should you believe them today, right? Paul was kind of a flip-flopper in this way, but always faithfully, always intentionally. And as evidenced by our passage today, well, we aren't the only ones who struggle with folks who do this kind of thing. The text that I just read from Acts tells us that Festus, who was a Roman official serving under the king, took it upon himself to interrupt Paul when Paul was speaking boldly of truths. Well, he was met by Festus, who spoke with an equal level of boldness, saying something I imagine others of us have wanted to say to people in the past. I quote, "You are out of your mind, Paul." Too much learning is driving you insane. Too much learning, they says, is driving you insane. Have you ever thought that, or felt it passionately, personally? Maybe you just get tired of someone who thinks they know everything. Maybe you think they're getting their information from the wrong source. I'm sure that in that story I opened with, those geography students were sure thinking that their teacher was out of her mind. As she asked them to follow some ridiculous and indecipherable directions that they couldn't begin to understand, and frankly, they didn't really want to or think it was necessary either. And sometimes we're presenting presented with those opportunities to learn when we don't want to either. And yet, in the story with Paul, I can't help but to wonder if Festus and King Agrippa and others that had gathered that day against Paul. I wonder if they were thinking the same thing, wondering whether he should even be trusted, wondering as he shared this unbelievable story whether he needed to take a break and go have lunch by himself somewhere, and then get back to them later with something that made a little more sense. Paul, of course, being Paul, he didn't back down. He couldn't imagine a world in which anyone could ever learn too much. Especially about the Lord of all creation, Paul couldn't imagine a world in which we would not all want to embrace this good news of the truth of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And Paul is so sure about Jesus that he challenges even the king when he asks him, King Agrippa. Do you believe the prophets? Only it was one of those hypothetical sorts of questions because he doesn't let him respond. Instead, Paul offers again to the king, "I know you believe. You know those people who tell you that they know more about you than you do. I know you believe," he says. Have you ever invited someone to an event? And you could see the sparkle of in their eye of anticipation and curiosity. You know that they would love to join you to go with them, and then the words come out of their mouth that don't match the sparkle in their eye, and they're like, "No, I'm good. Thanks anyway. I'm going to pass this time." You ever had that happen to you? Oh, they say, "I wouldn't want to be a bother. I can't interrupt your plans," or 
I could never do that. Even though their eyes say, oh my gosh, I'd love to. Have we been there and seen that? Because that look, that look that we know, that's what I imagine Paul saw in the king that day. The very one who was challenging him, who was saying with his lips, no, 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 what are you doing? Paul saw this look and he knew that it was time to admit this truth. A truth that came with swallowing pride in order to reconcile truth. A truth about Jesus that could not be denied. Remember when we spoke earlier of how frustrating it is when someone flip-flops what they believe? And if you wonder if you should believe them in that moment? You know what I think can be even worse or harder to accept than that? Is when the know-it-all the one that frustrates you out of your mind because you can never argue with them because they've never been wrong in their life. I really hate it when you argue with someone like that and they are right. Isn't that such a pain? Okay, you're all laughing with me. Good. Because it is so frustrating. And I'm not above admitting I get stuff wrong all the time. I like to be right, don't we all? But we all make mistakes now and then. But there is no one I'd rather be right against than the person who thinks they know it all. Fortunately, it doesn't seem to happen that often, right, that you get in these kinds of situations. But man, when it does, it can be tough. And that is what I think the king is experiencing in this moment. He says to Paul in verse 28, are you so quickly persuading me to be a Christian? And I almost hear in that voice, and I know this is my baggage, but I almost hear like, oh no, am I going to be like you? Right? Because we don't want to associate with the people who frustrate us so much. Are you so quickly getting me to do this? And I love Paul's response. Well, quickly or not, I pray to God that not only you, but also all who are listening may become such as I am, except for these chains. What a gracious response. Quickly or not, I hope you can get there. I pray to God, he says, that you would be such as I am, except for these chains. In other words, Paul says, even if we're in disagreement, even if sometimes we frustrate each other, even if I know I'm being difficult, please know it's not for anything short of love. My hope and my prayer is that you would have the truth and the joy and the life that come with faith, but that you would do that without experiencing the suffering or persecution that I have. Because as a Christian, Paul says, I really, truly want what is best for you. I want for you the very, very best. I want you to believe the unbelievable. I want you to trust in God. And I want for you to embrace a life and relationship with Jesus, even when you can't yet imagine it. That's what I want for you. And friends, if that's what Paul wanted for the king, how much more can and should we want it with and for one another? How much more should we be praying for the people in our community, in our lives, in our reach and beyond? Whether it is our best of friends or our worst of enemies, our far away family or our closest neighbors. Jesus wants for you and for them, the very best. And when I say best, I don't mean worldly riches. 
Paul reminds us that what we really are praying for here are the things that really matter, things like life and faith in Jesus Christ. Gifts of the community that the community around us may never fully get to receive if we're not first willing to acknowledge that we too are called to be vessels of God, to be the hands and the feet of Jesus in our community. The voices who bring this good news to all we meet. And so who then might we need to pray this prayer for? A prayer for hope and for change and for blessings and for faith. Whether it's faith anew in someone who's never lived a life of faith before, or faith renewed in someone who has stepped away and become distant. My hope and prayer this day is that we would be able to follow that courageous faith of Paul that encouraged him and allowed him to share it with all he meant as we too pray to God that we would be vessels for all to hear the good news of Jesus, that they might learn and hear and hope and believe in Jesus Christ who gives us life. Let's pray. Mighty and merciful God who works in strange and miraculous and frustrating and beautiful ways, we give you thanks for your servants that come in such different ways and who meet each of us in our own needed ways that we could never imagine. We ask, oh God, that you will help us to be your hands and feet needed in our community, that we might share your light and your life and your faith. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Son, who gives us our breath this day and who leads us forward with purpose. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the First Church Message of the Week. To stay connected, subscribe to this podcast and follow us on Facebook. For more information on our church calendar, visit our website at watertownfirst.church. This has been the First Church Message of the Week.